Welcome to Lean Back. I'm Lisa. And I'm Laura. And today we're talking sadly about the end of Row. Um, Laura, how are you? I haven't seen you in almost two months. And I haven't seen you, obviously, since we lost our rights as citizens. How are you doing? I mean, obviously, we had forewarning that this would happen. And so it's not like I wasn't expecting it. It's not like I haven't been expecting it for years. <laughs> Um, you've been saying it for a long time, um, and I've believed you for a long time. Like, now that it's actually happened, um, like, it's still a shock, right? Like, it is still really scary. I mean, I'm scared for not myself primarily, but, like, the women in the state. Just the lack of child care that's available, the lack of resources and support. I just can't imagine finding out that you're pregnant and not having an easy or legal solution um, to help at any stage of your process, even if you decide to go forward with your pregnancy. So all of that is like heavy, you know, Uh, and it hasn't been heavy until now, even though I knew this was coming, but um, that's been hard. How are you handling the last couple of days? I'm exhausted. <laughs> I'm totally honest. I mean, you know, you said it. I've been saying it for years. And, of course, everybody is like, oh, there's Lisa. She's a pessimist or she's hysterical. And, of course, didn't work out that way, unfortunately. But I feel – I think I feel worse for the women who are pregnant right now who undertook pregnancies you know, with the understanding that they would have a full range of healthcare options available to them at every stage in their pregnancy and now don't. And I, you know, have a, I think, a very deep sensibility about how we are actually in uncharted territory. And so the accelerationism of the Supreme Court to get to this moment, not just with Dobbs, but also with the gun decision and with the deregulation of the EPA this week, which is forthcoming, that I think portends a fundamental upheaval in the American political system beyond the insurrection that will radically reshape all of our relationships to capital, to family, to children, you know, to empire, certainly that's long overdue, but the way that it splits, you know, how it breaks, I think it's too soon to tell. Um, I do see a bunch of promising interest convergence that have the possibility to reshape the future in ways that are exciting, but One thing I think about pretty much constantly right now is that we are not surrounded by leaders who are up to the task of, you know, reimagining America in a more equitable, just way and teaching others how to exercise that kind of political imagination. So I feel, I would say, rage and ambivalence, and I do feel some political hope around interest convergences that were unavailable last week. But I just don't think that the gen pop has a sense about how fucking terrible it's going to be for the next five years. And I think that the white ladies in particular who are not adjacent to activist circles, who aren't historians or academics, who do not 
consume the news at such a degree, their panic is understandable, and it's going to take it's going to take a decision like Dobbs to get their heads into what it's going to mean to radically reorganize society. So that's kind of a big task. I mean, I like that you mentioned the people who are pregnant right now and who aren't going to be able to access the health care they need, at least like at an emergency level. If you're in Louisiana and you have an ectopic pregnancy, like what do you do? Um, and that is something that I feel like has been a failure of leadership. Like, I feel like they haven't centered storytelling. Their messaging was... It's because like, they hate women. It's because the Democratic Party also hates women. And they don't want to talk about pregnancy. And they don't want to talk about vaginas. And they don't want to talk about the uterus. And they don't want to talk about how absolutely difficult and life-threatening pregnancies. They are in total denial. It's unforgivable. Yeah, that's why like it's hard to think about how do we organize them because that lack of leadership, that lack of centering women, like that's not the approach that we need to take. So the leadership is going to have to come from somewhere else, right? It's, it can't come from the Democratic Party. So I love that because I agree. And as somebody who has been adjacent to this community for almost two decades and who obviously writes about feminism and abortion and other things like the abortion funds are handling the people who need immediate care in trigger states and states with Zonula. So I am actually less worried about the pregnant people who are in need of abortion care right now. They are being shepherded, right, to care because we still have interstate travel. But that will be one of the next big battlegrounds in the next, um, I think, Supreme Court term. That said, the political leadership is an abomination, and it's not just at the federal level. Certainly, President Biden has been atrocious. That's not surprising. It's his age. It's his Catholicism. It's his whiteness. It's his white supremacy. It's his just inadequacy, you know, as a messenger. That, And also, I think, you know, it is the federal government's flat-footedness on this and denial about it that I find so enraging because there was plenty of time to produce a strategy before Dobbs dropped. I mean, even in the weeks between, you know, the leaked decision, which was obviously Alito's right hand, um, and the leak was clearly the Thomas's, you know, I just, I just, it's unforgivable that the country does not, did not have a political plan for this when it was the right wing plan for the last 60 years. It's, it's, it's so stupid. And I have nothing but total fucking contempt for it, quite frankly. Contempt. Just yeah. vicious contempt about it. So does most of the left, I would say. I mean, the response yes. was on Twitter was, do not send a dime to the Democrats, right? Like, God bless Nina Turner and AOC, because they're the only ones who are consistently messaging and harnessing that contempt into anything remotely approaching a political consensus that could possibly unite, you know, the left and the liberals. I mean, I think part of it is that so much blame was displaced on Donald Trump because he was like a grotesque figurehead for a lot of this. But there was a lot of, you know, rot underneath. And this has been happening like way before Trump, right? This has been a deliberate process of placing judges at different levels of federal courts for years. What I just can't understand 
and maybe it's because I'm not a lawyer, is where is the liberal or left version of the Federalist Society who's like producing all this shit ass faux legal reasoning that is the basis for these craptastic legal decisions? Like where is the answer to that? I mean, is it the lack of dark money? Like what is it the the lack of political no, I funding? I think that it is both fidelity to and I think more generously, perhaps, ambivalent. But I think it's fidelity to the fact that the liberals think they will never be harmed by the law because there is actually subtle precedent, which is stupid. That is stupid. And I think that it is also unwillingness to reimagine the judiciary. I think it's total stasis all the time. I think most people who go to law school are mostly moderate to center right to start with. And I think that even white liberals or leftists who are in the judiciary just didn't read race scholars. They didn't read critical race theory. They didn't listen to Melissa Murray or Derek Bell or Mari Matsuda or any of the other brilliant legal minds who have been warning us of this convergence of dark money and, you know, white supremacy and federal society for decades. So it's inexcusable because they have access to the same back catalog of, you know, yeah. law review articles I do. So I don't understand. I mean, it, there is like a myth that progress means like moving forward um, or that progress, you know, doesn't. Is linear. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I think that's part of it. And then I also think it's like a lack of using the right language to identify like what the problem is. So like you would say... Um, Nazism is in the past or fascism is a thing of the past. Like think of thinking of those concepts in like historical context only and not applying it to the modern moment when similar <laughs> things are happening. And so being able to use those historical references and saying like things played out very similarly, if we look at these regimes of the past that were fascist, I, I think that would help. I mean, the right certainly uses that tactic. Um, to weaponize some of their arguments. I mean, they created a false panic about socialism uh, in the Green New Deal and, and critical race theory. I think what they're doing is like creating that panic. And that's something that the left should be doing about a more real threat, which is authoritarianism, the possibility of overturned elections, the lack of voting rights progress and actually rolling back voting rights in many states. I think that I think two things about that one from the legislative side, the legislators, the white legislators benefit from these conservative moves towards the law because they consolidate individual, you know, individualism and property rights. So they don't want to disrupt that because the white people are really just hoarding resources, regardless of their political party. I think in the judiciary, it's different because I think that the jurists who conceive of themselves as liberal or leftists don't see themselves as organizers and they also buy into like the rational slash emotional paradigm and so they see that fear mongering as unacceptable and so they don't have an affective or emotional appeal and so I think this moment like this exact day you know four days after Roe falls uh, in the Dobb decision tells us that the liberals have no plan and no affective register with which to describe a political path forward, even for the midterm elections. 
They could say, hold the line, 50 plus three, we have to win Ohio and Kentucky and whatever, whatever their interim point, they could just say 50 plus three. They could say, we have to win these two states. They could say, we're going to flip these executive, you know, offices in these states, or we're going to push to divest money into these Southern triggers laws. They could do any of, of a number of things, which would be totally acceptable political strategy and completely legible to the American population. Instead, with the exception of Pelosi, who got some of her shit together today a little bit, their messaging is garbage. There's nothing there. And so they're relying on the outrage against the GOP and conservatism to carry the day. And it's so fucking lazy. I just. Yeah. I don't know what seats they need to win. Like in the midterm, yeah. like which, what are the seats? Where do you want me to put the that, money? Yeah. What are the candidates that have the best shot? Like, <laughs> where do we need to invest? Where do we, where have laws not been passed yet where we can rally and get some public support uh, in those states so that we can put some pressure on the state legislatures? Or there? just go on vacation. Congress <laughs> went on vacation. And Joe Biden is obviously in Europe now. Of course, that is that was a scheduled plan, right, a long time ago to go meet with the G7. But I mean, I, where's your sur? Where are your surrogates? It's it's a goddamn outrage. I understand why the leftists are screaming at the liberals because it's like you told us you just needed a simple majority. We got you that, and it's not enough. But sixty is not enough. And how many is enough? And why won't you do what you said? You said you would protect Roe, but you couldn't. Why didn't you codify it? I mean, the lack of political literacy is really undermining the ability of the liberals to transform into something better, which is honestly what we need. So I think that that plus the backdrop of the January 6th hearings is creating a really potent stew. And on the one hand, there is so much change so fast and generally the American public does not like that, regardless of the political persuasion. So it doesn't matter which party you affiliate with or how you describe yourself as a voter, this much change this fast is generally really not preferred. So it will be interesting to see how that pans out. And also abortion and reproductive health care is really popular because, you know, the majority of people who participate in abortion care are Christians. So it will be very interesting to see what happens with voting, but also with the way in which this moment right now is going to reshape the political parties and the way that really our balance of power is operationalized moving forward. I mean, it's not balanced now, but I'm just saying like, the separation of powers is going to change dramatically moving forward. It already feels like there is a shift of power towards the Supreme Court. I mean, the fact that it was left to the court to decide this instead of codifying through legislation. Yeah. yeah I, so that strikes me as odd, but also the public trust. I mean, obviously Biden's popularity is bad. But his but, internals in the party are good, which is interesting. Correct. If that continues. Yeah. But the Supreme trust in the Supreme Court before the Roe decision was, I think, 25 percent. And now it has to be even worse. So, I mean, is that institution still even legitimate if most of the public doesn't? The answer is no. This is the thing I don't I think that the gen pop has no idea that lawyering is now completely fucked. So what do you do when you teach con law in the fall? What happens to the bar exam? 
what happens to stare decisis? I mean, there's no precedent, legal precedent. What what do the lower courts do? Like the entire, this was the plan from the Goldwater era in 64 on was to capture the judiciary. They've got it. But for me, it's both true that it's going to create complete and total fucking enforcement chaos. And, you know, chaos in terms of what the law actually is. But it's also an opportunity to reshape what we think the law should be. So it's been nuked. The accelerationism has happened. They captured the judiciary. And now there is nothing even resembling order. So I just don't think that the general population understands how radical of a change this is. It undermines trust in the law, period. So you're going to have people who are like, if this law, which is clearly a human rights violation, is is the standing law, like what other things should I distrust? And then also the fact that the Supreme Court is kind of wishy-washy about what should be states' rights and what shouldn't. Gun control wasn't left up to the states, but abortion was. Like, what legal arguments are valid in that case? Because <laughs> It's philosophically inconsistent. That's not a surprise. And we've lived through periods of this kind of crisis previously. They just weren't, like, in the modern period. <laughs> so I just... What happens to the, the law? What happens to lawyering? What happens to law school? I mean, it's so destabilized. It's going to be so totally chaotic. Paternity rights, um, medical lawsuits, um, I, in civil and criminal court. Uh, it is, this is ca- catastrophic. Now, that said, the majority of Americans recognize that this is batshit crazy. So there's without a doubt opportunity to build precedent so things could potentially get back on the rails instead of off. But I will say this. I think that the canary in the coal mine is Texas. And uh, obviously the radical right wants to have a constitutional convention and rewrite the constitution in their image of like coverture, right? Where women and children are properties of husbands and can't vote again. All of that is written in the Texas platform of the GOP. And if you look at it, they want to end divorce rights. They want to end birth control. They, I mean, it's straight 1880s. And and I just don't think that the average American has a sensibility about how regressive this political moment is from a legal perspective. I do think, though, that they understand how regressive it is from a social perspective. I do think the place where the liberals are getting it right is using Clarence Thomas's own language to say, obviously, they want to go after Griswold and birth birth control. They want to go after all privacy rights, conversations and, and sexual acts between partners. They want to go after intimacies. You know, they do understand gay marriage is on the hook. I think that they understand medical rights are on the hook. So there is, I think, a base level of understanding about how retrograde the moment is. I just don't think that people generally, and certainly not corporations, they don't have any sensibility about the interlocking nature of the political systems, the finance capital, and the legal consequences of these things as they are part of a larger judicial context that is going to radically reshape American civic life. They don't understand. 
and they need to call the humanists in who do this for a living, like myself and my colleagues who do comms and who do politics and who do race and gender, to explain that after five years of intense, right, um, donations and investments in DEI work, that money is now sunk cost and they are going to radically destroy their consumer base and their pipeline and their workforce. And so they are going to think they can't because they've had immunity from huge capital shifts because they were not basically inoculated by, you know, executive cover and congressional favor. That's not how the judiciary works. And any of those large Fortune 500 companies that are in the South are going to get burned alive by the fact that the blue states are going to have legislatures that support them, tax bases that fund them, and all of the health and welfare that support their workforce. And it is going to be crushing for the South. I don't even think that they can recognize it because it is so existential and it is so mammoth. I mean, how do you get women to stay in Arkansas, for example, and work for your Arkansas-based company? Like, how do you get them to move here? How do you bring in outside talent? Like, I can't imagine that women of reproductive age would move here for a job. For a choice? To choose to come here? Look, they're not coming from their blue state to be part of an executive class in uh, Bentonville or Springdale. But more than that, the store workers who are now going to be forced to carry pregnancies to term are now going to be not able to afford childcare. They're going to be dead. They are going to be poorer than they were before because it's not like we're going to expand any of the welfare programs, and I mean social welfare, I don't mean like WIC, but also WIC, right, for mothers, right? There's no breast formula. Yeah. What the (laughs) fuck? You're going to force these kids to come out with no social support. The moms are not going to have any of the resources necessary. And so that's going to disproportionately affect black mothers. It already is. Arkansas has the highest black maternal mortality rate in the entire country. So you just did all this DEI work. You're going to kill off your store workforce, you're going to stop your talent pipeline into the state, and then you're going to let your legislature wreck public education so you don't even have an internal pipeline to the folks who do have access to education moving forward. It is going to be absolutely catastrophic. I mean, that was already part of the labor shortage. Not enough free childcare. Women left the workforce during COVID and never came back um, because they can't afford childcare. So that's already a problem. But what happens? That's being exactly. But the next move is immigration. So what happens to the corporations that rely on immigrant labor, whether documented or not? Because they are going to be delimited out of citizenship in ways and the, the marketplace in ways that we ha- can't even can't even comprehend what happens if we lose those workers in food service. It, it is catastrophic for Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. This is, this is unfortunately the, the right frame for corporations because I just can't see them like getting out of thinking about the bottom line. <laughs> this is the bottom line. They exactly. The That's... Bottom. I ju- they just got deprioritized. You were at the front of the line, right? And now you're not in the line. Yeah. And you are stuck. You are stuck. It's not like they don't have the capital to move, but they're not going to because they just sunk all this money into right? Their DEI and their corporate headquarters and their, all of the things that we have been seeing in Northwest Arkansas, their bike trails and their bike racing and their art and beer. 
But what are they going to do? Leave? They're not. It, that's not going to be a thing. I mean, it's a real opportunity for corporations in Northwest Arkansas to leave, but they don't have the internal comms and they don't have the external perspective or the structural analysis to be able to navigate how to pivot the company, transform their brand, and expand the rights of their workers because they are stuck in the politics of last week and they have not been having these conversations. And the reason that they haven't been having them is because they've been la, 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 la about labor. So they've been watching the Starbucks unionization and the Amazon unionization and saying, I hope that doesn't happen to me. And God help them because it is the labor movement where the answers are and they don't want to believe it. And it will be the death of the corporations in, in the South to not make the turn to protect the workers and let them leave. You know, they want feedback sessions, but they don't actually want to transform the lives of the people who work for them. And this is where the rubber meets the road on that. Yeah. I mean, the reason we're having this conversation is because we live in a failed state, right? We rely so much on employment uh, to provide human rights, like social welfare. Like we rely so much on companies and they lead so much of the efforts for social good. Unfortunately, it shouldn't be that way, but we live in a failed state. So much state support has just been sucked out. Yes. So, so, um, the fact that we even have to have this conversation and ask for accountability and change from companies is, is sad. Yes. Um, and it's also at the, at the point of citizens United in terms of political pressure points, it's, it's absolutely central, but, I mean, if the corporations do not collaborate with labor and with uh, grassroots organizers, uh, the failed state will fail harder and the corporations will fail because the people will be so far below the poverty line that they will not be coming to the stores to purchase anything because they're not going to have the means to do it. And raising wages $2 an hour or whatever the fuck is not going to make up the massive gap that has just been opened with the Dobbs decision. So... You know, I just think about the people working in the HR departments and the legal counsel for the Fortune 500 companies, especially the ones who have not been having these conversations because they don't have liberals, strong liberals, or certainly leftists in leadership positions to be able to push the conversation in productive ways so that the corporations grow, you know, and so they're like, here's $4,000 for travel for reproductive care. Okay, that's all well and fine, except for, you know, when the state criminalizes, you know, out of state abortions or collaborators or providers. And then what? When you get the subpoena as a corporation, you're going to turn over the names of the people who took that $4,000 reproductive care voucher. And I, and they can't even see the legal repercussions of that. And I, I find it, it takes my breath away at how totally legally naive it is because they don't have anybody who understands reproductive Access. They don't understand anybody who who knows about bodies or care or abortion funds or the history of social movements. Or they don't have those, you know, resources inside of the corporations to help them steer the ship at a time of intense strife. And it's gonna it's gonna be the same kind of moment as it was in the 1850s, right? I mean, Texas Texas's vigilante provision in their trigger law allows people to basically hunt down women who have helped get abortions, who have gotten abortions. It's very fugitive slave law. And honestly, that is the legislative 
act that pushed the North towards confrontation with the South over uh, slavery, which they would have been content to let happen. So we are at the point of massive civil strife. It's too soon to say war, but the, the, the radical right wants a civil war. And I just feel a way about the you know, well-meaning white people that consider themselves Democrats or Republicans, but are not the radical right, because they're going to have a reawakening about it. And they're going to suffer. The suffering is going to be distributed and the risk is going to be distributed to white people in a ways that it hasn't for a very long time. Yeah. I don't think they understand that this is the tip of the iceberg. I'm glad that we talked about, you know, companies coming forward, even if offering that money is not enough to handle like what is actually coming down the pipeline with the legal system prosecuting illegal abortions. But like, I I just think about on Friday, Saturday, like how quiet my LinkedIn feed was. Like I saw almost nothing. And most of my LinkedIn network is, I mean, this area of Walmart world. (laughs) And so um, obviously we saw some companies come forward and some of that was being shared, but in general, completely silent completely silent. And so I think it's that like fear. If companies aren't coming forward, then the Democrats won't, right? (laughs) Like the people who support most of the workforce, the uh, white collar workforce, they won't do anything unless they feel like there's a movement. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and the fact that I saw so little on my feed meant that they hadn't gotten the signals yet that it was okay to talk about this or it was okay to react yet. Yeah, but they didn't do the work ahead of time. That's the thing, that there are no internal comms people who understand race, sex, gender, and politics in ways that can prepare the country either on the political side or on the, you know, corporate side. Is it vacuum? Okay, in narrativization of the moment that is, I think, really problematic. I think, too, though, that the corporations don't understand that women are going to have ectopic pregnancies rupture in their stores. And they don't understand that people are going to miscarry in their stores. And they don't understand that, um, you know, with the convergence of guns and forced birth, men are going to kill their workforce. Right. The most dangerous position to be in in this country is to be a pregnant woman. You're most likely to die as a woman in this country if you're pregnant. Right. I mean, the majority of murders that are done with a handgun are pregnant women. I just it's going to be so many dead women. The estimates about how many ectopic pregnancies will kill women in the first year after Dobbs is 50,000. Yeah, it, it's something Who's like one percent. The cost yep. of those lost moms in their families, where they already have children. You need emergency treatment for ectopic pregnancies. Yes, it's not something that abortion. can wait. That's yep. it. Yeah. But what about what about the women who are pregnant and get cancer? They can't do chemo because the chemo will hurt the fetus. They're all of it's. It is not just abortion. Even though the abortion is a central and essential piece of reproductive justice and racial justice in America, it is also all of the cascading forms of care that happen to pregnant people. All of that now has to be rethought because of litigation and criminalization. Mm -hmm. And furthermore, the point is to abrogate the voting rights of Black and Brown and Indigenous women. Because if all of these women are dead... Or in prison, because they're criminalized, they can't fucking vote ever again because they're felons. 
So it is a backdoor way to erode the voting rights of women, which is the end goal. That is not catastrophic thinking. That is not hysteria. That's the end goal of the, of the moment is to end voting and property rights for women. That's yeah, what it needs they to be want. said. They're saying it out loud. So there's a reason why gutting the Voting Rights Act came first. That's why Janice came second. So it's like, okay, we're going to kill public education, we're going to kill voting rights, and then we're going to kill access to health care. All of it. It's broad spectrum. There are all kinds of medical interventions that could harm the fetus. So I, I find the naivete to be completely unacceptable, even while I understand that the silence about uh, sex and birth and maternity and women's bodies has led us to this place intentionally. Yeah. It's a slow violence of the erosion of social services, but especially public education, but also housing and clean water. I mean, the kids in Flint still don't have fucking clean water. Like, it is a slow violence to end democracy, and that is the fucking goal. So people need to have, I think, more affect and... Yeah, you need to be mad about that. Rage about Like, I don't understand why that rage shouldn't happen sooner. Uh, as access to resources were taken away, as Flint continued to not have... <laughs> clean water for the children i mean they did for black people black people got in the streets they're like stop killing our kids right whether it was philando castile or mike brown you know or any uh, or any of the number of trans black women who've been murdered native americans have been doing it as communities over the you know kidnapping and murder of indigenous women it is just the fucking white women and their husbands particularly among the liberals who have been in denial about it because honestly it didn't affect them and they thought that it would never come for them we are fucking here okay and the language is the same it's anti-black it's anti-jewish it's anti-semitic and anti-brown all the time it's anti-trans and it is the collusion of race and sex panic that we talk about so much here so it just seems to me that you know, the false equivalency of like BLM and Antifa, which we've talked about on this podcast, and the false equivalency between January 6th and women protesting Roe is where the white people have not sharpened their political analysis. And they are going to have a really rude awakening about civil disobedience when there's no clean water and climate change is happening and the famine from the Ukrainian inability to produce grain because they're in this massive war with Russia really hits the United States. And it's going to be fucking catastrophic. And the thing is, is that white people think they can move. They think they can just move a state away. And it is so naive and so individualist and so fucking selfish and short-sighted and revolting. And I absolutely just cannot because I, for every asshole on the internet who's like, just move out of your red state. Who do you think is going to leave the red states? You know who's going to leave? The doctors. And they're going to be OBGYNs and family doctors. So, you, so basically you're like, you know what, if you're part of the white collar class, you should just leave this out. Okay, so we, well, how do you think the governance works then without Southern labor and Southern agriculture and resources? You think there's some sort of a political project that has any integrity? There's not. That's why it's called, you know, the 
Southern strategy is because the South has controlled the fucking Senate since the Nixon administration. So it is criminally naive to think that uh, an internal movement of people leaving their red states is going to produce the kind of realignment that would change any of this thing. Honestly, it's the stupidest thing you could say on the internet. Yeah. Or to me, I suppose. (laughs) Well, let's talk about civil disobedience because, I mean, I do think to an extent that is what is required to start to reverse some of this. I mean, this has been the plan all along. As you said, it's been well laid out and... The structure has been like slowly built by the right to set this in motion, yes. and we haven't been prepared, right? Right. And so because we don't have a labor movement in the South, so because there are not labor unions because they're prohibited by law because they're right to work states, there is not a stable ground in the South to organize what we really need, which is probably a general strike. So you know, it would be great if somebody other than the reproductive justice activists who have been providing care for all of these years as a stopgap because of the Hyde Amendment and also the erosion of federal funding for for reproductive health care. It would be great if other people could fill that gap. But general strikes take time to plan. Yeah. You have to have people taking off work and using that time in a way that produces a material cost on the economy. Iceland did it and it took them a year to organize and it took them five full years and then they got a female prime minister. So it's been done. Most, I mean, most of the countries that say, you know, the former guy called shithole countries have voted for abortion rights in Central and South America in the last 10 years. Uh, Many of them have written new constitutions. I'm thinking about Cuba, for example, which wrote a brand new constitution. Like we are in the moment in the 21st century where it is possible to conceive of rights more expansively and rewrite constitutions to be inclusive and to produce equality and justice. It is absolutely fucking attainable. It's happening all over the country in the blackout countries that we do not broadcast news about because, you know, both the media and the politicians would prefer that we did not have historical contemporary examples of people who are doing this very thing, whether it is a national labor strike led by women, whether it is unionization as a movement, whether it is writing a new constitution. And the workforce will continue to suffer and the bottom line will suffer and the United States will be weaker economically and politically. And, you know, people just don't have enough (laughs) geographic knowledge or global history or political depth to be able to understand that there are lots of options on the table that are executable for sure. They lack the imagination and the politicians lack the willpower. So that has to change, you know? I mean, I think it's different roles, right? You have people who work on the messaging and the education and, and you have people who organize like feet on the ground. Yes. Right. So like everyone should have a role, which means you've got to find the people who are good at communicating and who are good at teaching and who have the time and emotional resources to do that for other people. Um, And you've got to find the people who are good at listening and following directions. And you have to find the people who are willing to get arrested and you have to find the people who are willing to bail the people who get arrested out. Like all of that has to happen. But also it would be a tremendous help if the corporations would stop stepping on their own dicks. That would create a lot of space. If they told their 501c4s to stop funding insurrectionists and lunatics 
that would be helpful. If they actually funded candidates who would produce a political climate that would be more equitable, that would be a massive help. If they would get their heads out of their asses about this both sides in their political contributions and hedging their bets against the liberals, that would be transformative. And they're not ready to have that conversation yet either about how their own C4s are actively undermining their own bottom line and the health and welfare of the workforce. And if you want to be on the board of directors of a publicly traded company, you should have your political donations made public. Like I, I completely agree. You, you have... An obligation. Yes. An ethical obligation to be transparent. And that's the interesting thing because you can go to these Fortune 500 companies' webpages and they'll have all kinds of fancy graphics about transparency and ethical this and that and sustainable schwan schwan this and our workers first and, you know, and it is um, so incomplete. And it's not that there isn't, I'm sure, in some parts of those companies um, interest in doing that work. It's just that the execution is so haphazard and minimal. And it's also that the consolidation of power in their 501c4s is so radically attuned to the center right that they can't even fathom a successful business plan where they thrive on the left. And that's a failure of the liberals, quite frankly, for giving up and ceding all the territory of the left and moving their own party to the right. So, you know, for the folks, the liberals who want to chide the leftists, I don't really understand how they think that the Overton window moves. And you have to have the left along with a strong liberal contingent that can pull, you know, members of the right over to collaborate. And those people exist. There are tons of people that are defecting the Republican Party even today. Right. Um, Who are potential coalition partners. But these people have just been siloed in their corporations or their political parties for so long, they can't see the potential or the necessity for solidarity, even though it's right in front of their faces, because it feels so different. And it's a thing I talk about all the time. The leaders of this moment in the near future are going to look different. They're going to sound different. They're going to act differently. They're going to say different kinds of stuff because the political climate has changed so drastically in the last week. And to be honest about that means to accept a lot of change really quickly, but that's what's here. It is accelerationism. The thing has been burned down. The political system has burnt to the fucking ground. And it's not hyperbole to say that. And I mean, obviously I know I traffic in hyperbole for humor's sake, but this is not that moment, right? Like it really is transformational and it's going to call for uh, white people in particular to recognize different forms of leadership that sounds and looks different from them. And it's going to take them, you know, taking orders and listening differently and listening instead of speaking and failure and risk in ways that they did not have to do before. And the resistance to that will be will be failure for huge systems. And those are the systems that are the only thing standing between us and total nihilism actually at this moment. As you said, the corporations are doing the work of sustaining the, the social welfare net and the political rights of parts of their workforce. <laughs>